you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy on now at APCO. <laughs> Great form by you hitting play on this podcast. Now, check out Same Racer, the brand new racing app for Same Race multi-tips. Same Racer. Download from the App Store and Google Play. Powered by Bluebet. Gamble responsibly. Call 1-800-858-858. Big opinions, the panel. And this morning, the panel uh, consists of, and I'm glad to say, Jordan Oppert uh, is joining us this morning, and uh, Mark Watson is with us as well. Uh, Mark, I'll begin with you, uh, if I can, please, this morning. Uh, Ross Taylor's uh, final game. So uh, it's uh, it's been, it's gone. It's been a long time coming. He announced it quite some time ago. Uh, what about your thoughts on that final display and Ross Taylor in general? Oh, I just, yeah, remarkable. I mean, he just endeared himself to the public throughout his entire career. He's just one of those athletes, very hard to dislike him. Um, you know, always carried his bat with such grace, always very humble. I mean, I was just reading through those statistics this morning there, Ian. 450 international matches, 18,199 runs, 351 catches as a fielder, 40 hundreds, the most for a New Zealand cricketer, 181 highest score by a New Zealand cricketer in a successful ODI chase. I mean, the 290 sort of a whacker against Australia. Uh, I think he was captain, wasn't he, when they beat Australia in that test match in Tasmania back in 2011. But I think the real telling thing of Ross Taylor and the type of person he is, it must have been very, very difficult when he lost that captaincy um, to um, Brendan McCullum. You know, he was captain under John Wright. Then we had that changing of the guard. That can't have been easy for him. Look, he took some time out to address it um, by not touring South Africa. But then when he came back and decided, yes, I want to be still play for New Zealand, he was the ultimate team man. And I think it was fitting that that last game was in Hamilton last night. Um, but yeah, it's going to be it's going to be strange, isn't it, going forward with no Ross Taylor in that New Zealand lineup? Um, when it comes to one day batting, you know, arguably our greatest ever. When you look at the batting average, you look what he achieved, and um, you know, you thought Nathan, Nathan Astle set a pretty high standard, and then Ross Taylor came along. So, yeah, uh, look, Smithy, um, remarkable career, and well done to Ross Taylor. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, somebody was there, lucky enough to be there, and. Uh, Absorbed the occasion. Uh, was aware of, I think we were always going to win the game. You saw a couple of one-day hundreds. Jordan Offit, uh, good morning to you. Uh, you tend to, to get around a bit these days, uh, but you, I think it's fair to say you were at the right place to shed a tear last night. <laughs> Look, if there's one silver lining to having COVID is that it wrapped itself up in plenty of time for this game. There was no way I was missing it. I booked it actually at his last test because I was there covering it for one news at Hagley. So... I've been at both now, and I must say, yesterday was a very different first through, through comms, um, is that Taylor, is he's been loyal through thick and thin, as you say. He's one of our best ever batsmen. He's absolute legend. But the thing that kind of struck me is the, I, I guess, the inspiration he's had across a lot of generations. Most of the kids there wearing Taylor tops, they all had Taylor tops, he played, started playing 16 years ago. I would say these kids weren't even born until maybe he was five or six years deep into his career. And there was one little boy mm. sitting beside us with his dad. And as soon as Taylor came in, he was analysing every shot, being like, Dad, that's a good shot. And he knew everything about Ross Taylor. And I just think that's what makes him so special, is that he's really appealed to absolutely everyone. And what a place to bow out at Seven Park. It was a beautiful day there. 
But what I do think I'm going to put the shout out now is that I think in his honour there should be maybe a tree planted or a gazebo or a marquee because let me tell you, she's a scorcher. Especially after a couple of beers, you need some sort of shade. And Seddon is not, not friendly for that. So what about a Ross Taylor tree or marquee? Thoughts? Yeah, I like a Ross Taylor tree. I'd have it at deep mid-wicket up on the bank because that's where he was looking most of the time throughout the early stage of his career. So I'd have it up. That'd have to be a pretty quick-growing uh, quick tree. Um, but I, I'm with that. I'm with that. Um, yeah, I like that. I like that idea. I, I also like, um, Mark, what I've been watching. I, I think it's been a bit of a, a boom time for, for women's cricket in particular. We did a bit of a... A uh, report card with Craig Cumming this morning. We weren't overly glowing on uh, on the Black Caps, to be fair. I'm not sure what you, what your thoughts would be on that. A, uh, a home summer mark where we don't win a Test series. We are the Test uh, Test champions at the moment. Uh, I just think mediocre at best for the Black Caps. Yeah, look, fascinating, wasn't it? Because you know the Black Caps, to be honest, over the last sort of ten years have had a remarkable record and have really taken that next step and really sort of stepped out of the shadows and become a real focal point for New Zealand sports fans. And then suddenly, you know, I saw Bangladesh yesterday drop that test match to South Africa, bowled out, I think, for 51 in their second inning, Mm. Um, probably summing up what we probably expected from Bangladesh. And then, yeah, South Africa, well, they're in a rebuilding phase. Look, having spoken to a number of different cricket correspondents, when I've had the opportunity to do a little bit of work for ECNZ and people like Garth Galloway, Spin bowling. Um, I, I think it's an area where we need to shift our thinking. I agree with Garth on this, that we need to start adopting a more attacking approach rather than sort of more of a conservative defensive type. Um, you know, historically with our spinners, the likes of Mitchell Santner, I think that's an area we need to work on. I, I think clearly we miss Kane Williamson. Um, and we've talked about depth in New Zealand cricket, but, make, you know, I, I certainly think there's depth when it comes to the bowling side. Too much so, mm-hmm. where, again, we have ignored our spinners. But do we have the depth on the batting side of it? And, and can you be a world-class test side without a quality spin bowler? And, and I, I, I mean, I'll throw it back on you. I, I mean, it's your game. You've played at the highest level. Ian, you're the voice of the game. Yeah, keen to get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, look, Mark, my, my I was um, I'll be honest with you. When I when I played, we were a side that was dominated by seam as well, pace and and uh, you know with Richard Hadley, it's hard not to. But uh, every now and then we inf- we infrequently played spinners um, and we played to our what we believed was our strength at home, and that I think is what they're doing now. But uh, I think the game's changed now in the last uh, five, six, seven years. Maybe Warner's done that as uh, Dave, uh, David Shane Warner's done that as well. Kids want to spin the ball. They want to spin the ball these days. You see them practicing much, much more than they used to. And I, I really do think we owe it to the next generation of cricketers in this country. We've seen it in the Women's World Cup, what an influence spin can be on any game of cricket in any form. So I'm with you. Uh, we need, and I'm with Garth. Uh, we need to develop spin. But we need, the only way we're going to do that is to have, to have it front and centre on the biggest stage uh, and see people doing it. Um, and until we do that, we won't be able to do it and develop it, so I, I agree with you there. Mark, Jordan, um, I'm not sure you were in Hamilton, I'm not sure were you in Christchurch on Sunday uh, to see that magnificent occasion where Cantabrians turned up in, in numbers. It was such a great spectacle. No, I wish I was, Smithy. I so wish I was. But, I mean, would you expect anything less from Cantabrians? I don't think so. But, um, yeah, no, look, honestly, to see that place packed out, was just brilliant to see so many of the white ferns there too, um, you know, and, and people 
you know, you've got to presume most people there were kind of just picking a side to back that day, but they really did go all out. There was face paint, some people had pom-poms, banners. I mean, you were there, obviously. It just looked like an mm. absolutely magical day out. And um, let's just hope that can continue for women's cricket from here on out. I mean, I know it wasn't, you know, how we would have liked things to pan out with the White Ferns, but you can't fault the fact that they have inspired hundreds if not thousands of young girls and boys across New Zealand to get involved and I, I think that's only a positive thing Yep, I do uh, Please stay with us, Jordan Offit and uh, Mark Watson with us this morning on the panel We're going to have a short uh, break for the news and when we come back uh, we might look at the appointment uh, of Wayne Smith uh, appointed as Black Fern's technical coach uh, with the hope of turning things around and trying to bridge that gap that we saw was so evident with those Northern Hemisphere teams. Uh, that's coming up shortly on part two of the panel. The panel. We have got Jordan Oppert with us this morning and Mark Watson as well. And Mark, uh, the appointment of Wayne Smith as a uh, technical coach for the uh, Black Ferns in the hope that uh, he can turn it around. He hasn't got long uh, to bridge that gap with those Northern Hemisphere teams. Saw France play this morning. They absolutely murdered Ireland. So... Um, what do you reckon about this appointment for Wayne Smith? Oh, look, touch of genius, um, Wayne Smith. I mean, he's the professor, isn't he? He's a guru. Uh, I mean, you go back through the All Blacks victories in 2011 and 2015 at the World Cup, and yes, it was Graham Henry and Steve Hansen that ended up getting the plaudits, but it was well, you know, I think it was sort of well known that, you know, arguably maybe the biggest influence was Wayne Smith and what he brought to the game and his ability to analyse um, and break things down and then carry that across technically as well. And I think we noticed the All Blacks sort of drop off when he sort of got out of that environment around about 2017. And I think the All Blacks sort of struggled in those two years following that leading up to the 2019 World Cup. Um, so look, I mean, yeah, the, the, the Black Ferns have their back up against the wall, lost four tests, you know, badly by England in two tests last year and then France by two tests. They're clearly the two best female nations in the world at the moment. Uh, yes, we are running out of time, you're 100% correct. Um, I guess the thing that we do have in our advantage is we will be playing here at home. Um, can mm. he turn it around? I think he can certainly make a difference in closing the gap. Um, is it going to be enough? Well, I mean, I guess what England and France have got, and it's something that New Zealand's always carried, and they've got to deal with it. And I think Steve Henson alluded to it when Ireland went into the last World Cup as favourites. France and England have to deal with the favouritism tag, and and sometimes that can, you know, affect the psyche a little bit. But I still think we've got to back up against the wall. But it's a really good positive step. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it's, I can't see a downside to it, uh, Jordan. I would imagine you're of the same opinion now. I would imagine part of this, Jordan, has come out of uh, the review process that went into the saga towards the end of last year uh, involving the coach and the coach's comments, etc., about players. Uh, do you see it that way? Is this, is this going to remedy that? Uh, is there anything else coming out of that review? I mean, as we say, we're running out of time here. Yeah, well, that's the same time as of the essence now. But it seems to be that they're trying to throw everything at it. And, it, and in a way, that isn't exactly going against any of the other coaches, just looking to bolster already that coaching lineup. Um, and I just think they've got to try something, and I, and they need to desperately. I mean, Opiki, I mean, towards the end, there was some good rugby being played, but it was touch and go to start with. And I think, you know, that was supposed to be sort of the breeding ground for this, the, the future of women's rugby. I mean, they've got to 
bit of momentum with that, I guess. I mean, I have seen a few, like, Matatu shirts around in Christchurch and things like that. They've got a World Cup coming up, and they need to get everyone on board. Players, coaches, the public, and you'd like to think they'll take a few um, leaves out of the Cricket World Cup book and start now with everything. I mean, appointing, um, you know, Wayne Smith is a good start, but they've got plenty more, more to do. And I just don't know whether... He is the answer to the problems when it comes to what's happening on the field. Um, but, I mean, you've got the best person to try and help, right? Well, I think they've got a great blueprint, as you said, Jordan. Uh, Mark, And the sooner they cash in, uh, as Jordan has said, uh, and start building from this Cricket World Cup, uh, the better. Uh, but what, what I did see, uh, Mark, is some encouraging signs. If people are going to come to a neutral Women's World Cup final and basically make it a sellout crowd, I think the signs are good for the Rugby Women's World Cup. I do in terms of numbers. Yeah, I'm not as convinced on that one. I'm just not. Um, I'm not sure there's the following here. I'm not sure you're going to get international visitors coming down for Women's Rugby World Cup. I think the Football World Cup next year is a different story. Um, I think there'll always be support for the New Zealand Games. Um, outside of that, um, Ireland playing, say, um, Italy as an example. Boy, it's going to need to be a lot of work to get people along to watch that because I think there is a clear gap in the quality and level of play between, say, the top four nations and everybody else. I mean, you could argue that might have been the same at the Women's Cricket World Cup. Um, what I will mm. say is I thought we did a magnificent job of presenting the, the Cricket World Cup to the world. Um, you know, we don't necessarily have the biggest and flashiest stadiums, but I think our curators and groundsmen are amongst the very, very best. Um, so look here, I'm, I'm not as confident on the Rugby World Cup. I think the Football World Cup, no problems. Uh, I still just don't really have a handle on where, how popular women's rugby truly is in this country. And I think where they've got to focus is they've got to get the 2.5 million women in this country Activated. They've got to try and reach those two and a half million women to go along and watch that game because I think the diehard male rugby followers will, but they, I don't think they can rely purely on that. No, I'm I'm with you on that. I, I, I but I think they've got a great chance. I, I think put it this way: uh, right now, right now, I'd be if, if they're not sitting in their room saying, "What can we take out of this, and, and what can we implement very quickly?" I'd be very surprised, and uh, and I'd be pretty disappointed in that. Uh, Jordan Oppert. Behind the Wall, reporting from China is brutal but rewarding. You wrote this article, I've been reading it, it's fascinating, um, about the ups and downs, the highs, the lows, the hots, the colds. A nice little piece of work you put together there. Tell us about it. Oh, thank you. Yes, no, Beijing was incredible. And like, by no means do I want to come across in that opinion piece like I am complaining. But there were, because I'm definitely not, it was an incredible experience to go to woe. But the thing is, it was hard. It was really hard. And to, you know, just get stories out and be going to do things was difficult. I mean, China is a communist country, so, I, you know, we in part expected that. But you were so confined. Like, I haven't seen a thing of China. I haven't seen the Great Wall. I haven't seen Tiananmen Square in Beijing. I haven't seen anything that, when I came back, everyone asked, what was it like? I didn't see any of it. Um, you know, there's big walls getting you to and from the venues, and you don't leave them. Um, but... I mean, so that article is purely about the COVID side of things, but results-wise, like, I don't know, I think I might be a good luck chance for New Zealand snow sports, just quietly slippy, a goal to start both campaigns and a medal to finish it. I mean, you can't ask for much more than that. Um, but no, it was just brilliant. And our snow sport athletes, I honestly believe, are some of the best athletes we have in terms of just being so open with the media. It was honestly like we became part of their bubble. They shared everything with us. 
They would answer any media call we ever wanted. They're so genuine. They're authentic. They're real. They're passionate. Um, and I think the future of snow sports is looking bloody bright. I mean, since I've got home from China, we've had about nine juniors on the World Cup circuit win medals. So they're all, you know, 15, 16, another four years under their belts. They'll be the same age, well, a little bit older, actually, than what Nico and Zoe were when they debuted at the Olympics. I mm. just think it's going to grow and grow and grow from here, and that's so exciting. Mark, I'm going to put you on the spot here. We have a Mount Rushmore every Tuesday. You have no warning of this, but we've uh, asked for uh, the world, uh, not the world, uh, but our favourite four Highlanders, most influential Highlanders players. I won't ask you for four if you don't want, but... You're looking back at the Highlanders franchise since its inception, inception. Who would you be thinking is probably uh, one or two names that have stood out for you over the years? Oh, I'd have to go Jeff Wilson, clearly. Um, I'd probably have to go for personality. Mark Ellis, I think, you know, he sort of encapsulated uh, everything great yeah. about the university town uh, down there. Um, I just trying to remember who was the little uh, tiny halfback that we used to always get. Um, oh, I'm just trying to remember off the, the top of my there that, sorry? Stu Forster, the bear. Stu Forster, the bear. Yeah, Stewie Forster. You've got to have Stewie Forster in there without doubt. And boy, I, I, I mean, I, why not just make it a, a whole lot of backs and put just Chainsaw Laney in there again just because I just think that they're just the true characters of um, uh, of New Zealand rugby. I, I mean, you know, uh, um, you have put me on the spot a little bit, um, but yeah, there's four names that certainly just stand out for me when I sort of think of the Highlanders over the years. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what, there's a there's a whole host to pick from, Mark. I love those ones. I love those nominations. There's a couple there I hadn't actually thought of, but uh, especially when you come to think of playing nude rugby, which is always an interesting concept. Uh, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan, I know you're, you're, you know, you're not really interested in the Highlanders, but would you have a favourite Highlander by any stretch of the imagination? Oh, mine's Ben Smith. It has to be. Bender's the one of my generation, I'd have to say, down there. I mean, when I was at uni... Us, loads of us would go from Christchurch to Dunedin every couple of weeks to go, well, watch the Highlanders, but also Bender, he was the crowd favourite. And I think I'll have the fondest memories forever of, of him at, at Forsyth Bar. So I've got to go with Bender for this one. Showing my age, Okay, oh, I love it. Yeah, I love it. Actually, uh, Bender's one of mine. I'll, I'll let you into the secret. He's one of mine as well. Um, not because we're related at all either. So it's 10.41 here on SEN. Thank you so much. So much, Mark Watson and Jordan Oppert. Been great chatting to, to you both this morning and thanks very much for your input and uh, we'll speak again shortly. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.